It's a beautiful hymn. I've I've never uh, sung that hymn. Uh, it's just really a special, a special hymn. So this morning, um, you know, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and I was doing a lot of my reading uh, this week and reading John and studying chapter 17, where the Lord's uh, now going to be going into his high priestly prayer. And then it dawned on me that, uh, wait, this is Thanksgiving week. And I uh, hadn't even really thought about that. And, and so one of, uh, and I, I preached on this passage a few number of years ago here at this church. Uh, but one of my favorite passages for Thanksgiving is actually Psalm 103. And, and you often hear, um, even in my prayers, as I, as I pray, I often refer to verses from Psalm 103. Um, and it, it is such a, a marvelous passage for Thanksgiving. And so what I thought would be uh, good for us to do is to uh, reflect on Psalm 103, verses uh, 1 to 5 this morning. And so with that, I will read the entire psalm. Um, this is a corporate psalm. Uh, a psalm that is intended to lift the hearts of God's people uh, to thanksgiving to God. And, and so these first five verses really um, are a personal call for each of us to reflect on um, thanksgiving for God this morning, but even corporately since all these blessings belong to us. And so we'll focus on, on those verses, but we'll read the entire psalm. So Hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it is enduring, it is everlasting, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for your word that we can reflect on, reflect on it and should reflect on it time and time again because of the truth that it conveys about you, about us, and about the salvation that you have promised. Oh God, we are a people quick to forget. We ask that as we go through this psalm, the first five verses, O oh God, that you would help us to be a people that remember. Help us, O oh God, to reflect on these truths, not to take them for granted, but to be a people who remember and then in turn are a people of thanksgiving. We ask, O oh God, for your blessing on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So on October 3rd, 1863, I'll give you a little history lesson here on Thanksgiving. I didn't know this until I read it. President Lincoln responded to a request from a magazine editor whose name was Sarah Josepha Hale, and she was 74 years old. For 15 years, she had been petitioning for a national day of Thanksgiving. And so President Washington, he was the first to proclaim a day of Thanksgiving on October 3rd, 19, in 1789, and the individual states would soon follow. Um, and for the next 74 years, they began scheduling their own day of Thanksgiving. But on October 3rd, 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, President Lincoln acknowledged Sarah's request and issued a proclamation by which he made the day of Thanksgiving a fixed day and an American custom and institution, the one that we are going to be obviously celebrating this Thursday. And if you read the proclamation that Lincoln made, and I encourage you to do that, President Lincoln begins by noting the bounty of blessings. So even in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, a bounty President Lincoln says, they have enjoyed from the, quote, ever watchful providences of Almighty God. And so he notes the fruitful fields, the healthful skies, the peace with all nations, he, the respect and obedience to laws, general harmony prevailing everywhere, except, as he says, in the theater of military conflict. He's looking at all these things, and he's saying how thankful we ought to be for all of these things, let alone setting aside the Civil War. God had blessed the work of their hands, and the mines of iron and coal were yielding abundantly, he says. The population of the United States was increasing. 
So there are lots of things to be thankful for. And then he says the following. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's pretty awesome, right? What a great reminder, a great elevation of God to praise him Uh, indeed, as a God of mercy, who even blesses us, man, in the midst of our greatest sins. He is pouring out blessing. And I think we, as even a small group of people here, a small congregation, could no doubt create a list of many, many pages that highlight all of the numeral physical blessings which God has bestowed on us. Couldn't we? We could make a list, a a book's length list or more than all of the ways that God has physically blessed us. We can thank him and should for our country, no matter what the trials and the things that are going on. We can thank him for our country and for the safety and for the military and for for the the laws that are upheld in in our land. And yes, there are exceptions to all of that. We can thank him for not being at war. We can thank him for health insurance. We can thank him for education. We can thank him for family, for friends, for houses and cars and food and drink, right? To be able to go to a grocery store when you're hungry and buy something for a reasonable price to eat. Like these are, these are things we just kind of take for granted, but things for which we should and do thank God for, even in the midst of our own personal sin and our own national sins against God, we, we ought to give thanks to God for these things. Now, the reason I always think about Psalm 103, about thanksgiving, is because when I read Psalm 103, I see it as a call to thanksgiving from another national leader. King David, the nation is Israel, and he is calling them to thanksgiving. And the reason... I love the psalm is because as great as President Lincoln's call to thanksgiving is, his proclamation, and it's all true, David calls Israel to thanksgiving, but his call to thanksgiving is not for material bounty or to thank God for those things, though he does do that in other psalms. But here in this psalm, 
He is focusing on thanking God for those spiritual blessings that God has bestowed on his people. And the reason I think he does that is because David knows, as the king of Israel, he knows that this is where true thanksgiving must always begin. David knows that only in having a heart of gratitude for God as Savior and Redeemer, can one truly have a genuine spirit of thanksgiving to God as his people. It, it, it must begin in a reflection of that personal call for us to remember the redeeming work of, of God. Now, is that, am I just kind of imposing that on David here? Am I just kind of reading that into the text? Well, you might be able to say, yeah, well, pastor, you're just kind of reading that, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because David is not doing this because he's establishing some new focus as he pens this psalm. In fact, what he is doing is he is reaching back to the history of God with his people, and he's leading his people to reflect on God as Savior and Redeemer because that is exactly what God had called them to do when he led them into the promised land. So if you go back and you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you read the Pentateuch, and you, and you get to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is written after they had failed to go into the promised land, as God told them that they were going to. And, and Moses is reconstituting the giving of the law and the covenant with them, and he's reminding them of the history of Israel before now they're going to enter into the promised land. He's laying out the history of Israel. And what's really interesting is when you read like Deuteronomy 6 all the way through chapter 8, that how many times God tells them through Moses so he recalls this history, for example, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, Moses tells them, okay, this is our history, and remember what God told you? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your Take, make them known to your children and your children's children. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which is made with you. He, he's saying, don't forget, don't forget what God has done. He is the one, chapter 5 says, verse 6, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says in Deuteronomy 6, I'm just going to go through a couple of these. 
the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your forehead and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then he goes on to say, and when your children ask why it is we are doing these things, you shall remind them. Remind them of what? That the Lord your God brought us out of Egypt and delivered us. You shall remember your redemption, in other words. He brought you out of the house of slavery. And then he goes on in chapter 6 to give them this warning. Actually, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when, here, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. Do you understand what he's saying there? We are so easily distracted and so easily consumed by the things that we have that we forget that the most important thing that God wants us to remember as the foundation, and this is what David is doing in this psalm, is he wants us to remember and to be thankful for the gospel, for Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us, and not to forget the gospel for the sake of thanking him for all of the material things that we have. Like Jesus said to the man who was storing up grain in his silo, and he looked at his silo and he says, I have all this abundance of stuff. What am I going to do now, he says. And he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build another silo. And I'm going to store more grain. And when that silo was filled, the man looked at his silos full of stuff. And he said, oh, now am I satisfied? 
and I can rest in peace. I have my health insurance. I have my retirement. I have my social security. I have my house and I have my car. And I have all the laws that I want in the land and everything is passed and now I can rest and I can be satisfied. And I'm thankful for all of these things. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, he's a fool. Because this night, your soul may be required of you. And then what will you say? And so David is bringing it back to what God had told them from the beginning to remember. Because what happened to Israel is they forgot and they were judged for it. And this is what Hosea ends up saying. This is the last Old Testament passage and we'll get into the Psalm well, from the prophets. We'll get into Psalm 103, but listen to what Hosea says in verse 4 of chapter 13. Here the northern kingdom fell to Assyria in 722. Hosea is sent to minister to Israel in a golden age in the northern kingdom where all they had all this stuff and prosperity and peace. And unfortunately, moral decay followed because they forgot. And Hosea says this in chapter 13, 4 to 6. God says, but I am the Lord your God from the land of I, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, God says, they forgot me. Their failure ended in ingratitude toward God. Do you think do you think that's happened in our nation? I I feel like much like Christmas in our nation Thanksgiving you watch the news and you watch people talk about it, it's something that floats out there. It just, it just floats in the air and it's not attached to anything and it really has no object to attach it to. And when people talk about Thanksgiving or they talk about Christmas, what generally happens is those two holidays are turned around and what do they focus on in our country, in our society? They focus on you and what your desires and things. Even Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving isn't actually thanking God for these things. Thanksgiving is, in essence, thanking each other for all the things that we have. That's in our secular society. We're thankful to one another for your hard work. 
Oh, thank you for working so hard. Thank you for giving all of these things to your country. Thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you for the health heroes in the world that are working in the hospital and the firefighters and the policemen. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you, technology people, for all the technology you bring in and health professionals for all the wisdom you bring. Thank you, teachers, for teaching our society. We all thank one another, and we love to thank one another. And Thanksgiving floats there, and Christmas floats there. But it's all focused on us and what we consume and what we eat and what we do and the things we want. Take care, beloved, you in Jesus. Take care lest you forget your redemption in Christ. Take care lest you forget the price that he paid to deliver you from your sin and condemnation. Take care lest you forget because if you forget that, he will give you over to this world and in this world, you will be judged as one who loves this world. And so we must, beloved, remember. And here's what David says. David knows his own weakness. You'll see here in verse 1 when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see what he's doing when he says he calls upon his soul, that seed of understanding and affections, to bless God. And then he adds his inward parts, meaning his own mind and heart and all the faculties of both, and he speaks to himself twice in this manner. It's almost as if David is rebuffing his own apathy toward doing it. If you've spent any meaningful time in prayer, you no doubt know what it is like to fight like this. Prayer and praise or thanksgiving are not the natural outworking of our flesh. It requires discipline and effort, and so David is, one, in one sense, rebuffing his flesh and setting his mind and heart on the things above and not on the things below. That's a reminder for us that if David, who, who did the scripture reading, Andy, mentioned David, who is a man, what? After God's own heart. If David, a man after God's own heart, has to tell his soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what he's doing in this psalm. You and I need to do it. We need to fight that apathy and that temptation to not do it. Because in our flesh, we are going to cave into the things of the world unless we fight and tell our soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. Stir your heart up. Stir your affections up for God. 
Let your joy and your affections and love for God rise up and do not be ashamed of it, but tell your soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, because I know that I won't do it unless I seek and pursue him. Because my flesh, the Apostle Paul says, oh, who will deliver me from this this flesh? My, my soul, my flesh is weak. And so if we have faith in the living God, let us contend with our flesh. And David knows there's ample reason to bless the Lord. He, he says, forget not all his benefits. Don't let them become a distant memory. And the first thing he remembers then is he remembers and praises and thanks God and blesses God for the benefit, you'll see, that he forgives all your iniquity. That is the best news ever. Amen? If you want to thank God for something or be something, have something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, if you are in Jesus Christ, your sins, your iniquity has been blotted out. You have been freely pardoned and you and receive and he has received you into his everlasting favor when you sit down this thursday at the dinner table with your family at thanksgiving there is nothing laying before you on that table not the turkey not the stuffing not the corn not the mashed potatoes, not the cranberries, not the pumpkin pie, not the apple pie, not the wine. I make myself hungry. There's nothing laying on that table that is more satisfying than knowing that your sins are forgiven. Nothing. Eat to your heart's content. Enjoy the bounty of what God has given you. But remember that the most sweet and satisfying thing there is in the world is to know that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Let the world glory in its things. Let the world glory in all the lesser things, but we as God's people, let us glory in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. God's pardoning mercy for reconciliation with him is the fountain from which all other blessings flow, Calvin says. But not only does he forgive all your iniquity, you'll notice what he says next. He says, but he heals all your diseases. Now, what is he saying here? Is he, is he saying that Christians will never be sick 
and never go through suffering and sickness. That's not what David is saying. In fact, David knows full well that there is sickness in the world because remember when he sinned with Bathsheba and Bathsheba became pregnant and David recognizes that Bathsheba is going to lose the child and he's praying to God and he's asking God that he not take the child and God judges David and he takes the child and the child dies. He wasn't healed from all his diseases, nor was the child. There was consequence for sin. And so David isn't thanking God here in the sense that we have no sickness and we have no weakness at all. What David is saying is he's saying that I know that as long as I'm living in this fallen world, I'm going to suffer to some extent disease, sickness, poverty, oppression. But he says, we're not immune from those things. But he says, my sins being blotted out, our iniquity being pardoned, and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit means that in our cursed and fallen world under the disease of sin, that influence of sin on us as believers has, has been removed. He heals all your diseases in this sense, that he makes you new in Christ Jesus so that the disease of sin, you are healed from its influence and, and power to overwhelm you. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You need not give yourself over to sin and its influence. And that's what I think David is praising God here. When he says he forgives all your iniquity, he heals you of all your diseases. He takes away that, that appetite for sin and rebellion for his children. He heals you from that. I think that's what he has in mind. Beloved, this Thanksgiving... Thank God for the forgiveness of your sin, but secondly, thank God for this, that you are no longer a slave to sin. No more. Whatever you think you need in the world by sin, God has redeemed you and says you are no longer a slave to it. Thank God for that deliverance. The reverse is, you are a slave to what now? Righteousness. That's what he redeemed you for. Not for sin, for righteousness. And you can thank God that he made you new. Thirdly, remember that it is God who redeems your life from the pit. You see, not only does he forgive your iniquity, not only does he make you a new creature in Christ Jesus, a slave of righteousness, he redeems your life, he delivers you from death and destruction. You were destined, beloved, for the eternal grave but he has raised us to live in his eternal kingdom. Like Joseph, who was thrown in a pit to either die or be sold into slavery, that was our condition before God. 
but God had a different plan that we might serve him forever in his kingdom. And so he redeems, he saves, he, he brings your life out of the pit of hell and brings it into the glory of his kingdom. Is that something to be thankful for? You bet. Thankful your iniquities are forgiven. Thankful he made you a new creature in Christ. Thankful that not only did he do that, but he redeemed your life from eternal hell. Out of the pit to the glories of heaven. Be thankful. Then he says, fourthly, that we should remember that he, beautiful, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He, he not only removes you from the pit, delivering you from the coming judgment that God's going to bring upon the whole world, but then he takes you and I from the pit because of what Christ has done, and he puts a crown on you with steadfast love and mercy. You know what that means? That means whatever you're doing in this life as you're walking through it, that to be crowned with God's steadfast love and mercy means that as one of his own children, he is continually loving you and showing you mercy all throughout your life and will do so into eternity. Isn't that awesome? That's why you're wearing a crown of steadfast love and mercy. It's, it is what defines you and me is that Christ loves you, he is merciful to you, and his love is steadfast, and that's what marks us in this life. This is why Christians should not be anxious in fear. This is why Jesus says, don't be anxious for anything. God takes care of the birds, he takes care of the lilies, he puts flowers on them, he crowns them with beauty and flowers. How much more will God care for those whom he has saved. He's crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. And finally, David calls his soul to remember in the fifth place that God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. To the extent to such an extent does the Lord satisfy the soul that there will be a perpetual strength and vitality in the lives of his children. You will, in Christ, you will be satisfied even if you should suffer, you will have joy. If you know Christ, even if you suffer, you will have joy and thanksgiving. Even though you may lose strength and a vitality as you get older in this life, even then we live as those who have the youth of an eagle. Why? Because we know that we are renewed to what? A better life and a more satisfying existence in the presence of God. And as those who know there is no reason to be troubled at the loss of our strength in this life. And so the exhortation is simple, this thanksgiving to each of us. Let these truths adorn your thanksgiving table. If you have children, let the centerpiece of your table 
be the gospel and do what Israel was commanded to do, which is to teach your children the gospel. Teach them every day. Teach them at Thanksgiving. Let them know what Christ has done to die for their sin that they might be redeemed. Don't let your children and your family, don't let them grow up not understanding the hope of the gospel. And if you don't have children and you're gathering with your family or they're coming into your home, let the gospel be the centerpiece of your home. Write it on the frontlet of your home, write it on the doorposts of your house so that when people come into your home, they understand that they are being hosted for thanksgiving by a child of God and that they know that this child of God, what occupies your heart and your soul and mind as a believer is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what the world should know when they come into our homes. This should be the centerpiece, beloved, of our homes. And of course, when you look at that Thanksgiving meal, you're going to salivate. You're going to say, that looks so good. And you're going to thank your, your wife or your grandma or your mother and, or even the dad if he cooks the turkey, frying it. I don't do that. Some guys do. Whoever's involved, you're going to look at it, and you're going to give thanks to God for the gospel. You're going to give thanks to God for the abundance, for the labor that went into it. For, it's so beautiful. You're going to give thanks for that. And then you know what? I think everything will taste better. Don't you think? Of course it will. It will taste better. We have so much to be thankful for, beloved. Let's Go before the Lord now and bless the Lord. Father, we do come before you with all of our weakness and all of our distractions and all of those things that seek to draw us away. And we find ourselves lifted by this psalm of praise. And with David, we cry out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not all your benefits. Lord, help us to overcome our apathy and our weakness. We confess it to you, but we remember and we do not ever want to forget, Lord, help us not to forget the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to take our sin upon himself and to pay the price that we deserved. Indeed, O oh God, you have forgiven us of all our iniquity. Oh, how grateful we are for your grace and your mercy because we know, oh God, that our iniquity is much. Every day we live, we heap up iniquities and sins against you, but your grace in Christ means that you have forgiven us all our iniquity. We thank you for that. 
We thank you, O God, that not only have you forgiven us of all our iniquity, but you have healed us of all of our diseases. You have uh, caused us to be born again, and you have given us new hearts in Christ, and we praise you for that. Help us to remember that we are new creatures in Christ. Help us to remember, O God, that you have redeemed us from the coming judgment, and how thankful we are to you, O God, that our Hope is not here in this world, but it is in the world to come, and it is in your kingdom. Thank you, God, for satisfying us with your love and mercy. Thank you for every day that we live to know that you care for us and watch over us, and you are protecting us, and you are hedging us in, and you are giving us food and drink and shelter and clothing. You're giving us friends and family and a, and a church to gather with and, a, and Bibles to read. We thank you for all of these things because we know that they are given to us by a Father who cares and a Father who loves us. We thank you that you have crowned us with such mercy. And we thank you, Father, that we can be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have filled our hearts with good thanksgiving and with the blessing of eternal life. As Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, that he will give eternal life so that it is overflowing in her. It is bubbling like a brook. And indeed, oh God, may our hearts as your people bubble this thanksgiving. May our hearts be overfilled with thanksgiving because we have found satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. We ask, O oh God, for your blessing on those who are traveling for their thanksgiving. May these truths, even though they aren't here today with us, may they be reflected in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, that they might too be reminded of the gospel. And may each of us go to our homes with thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Num number 170 is our closing hymn. Number 170 in your hymnal. And if you're able, please stand with me as we sing, Savior, like a shepherd. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us, for our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast brought us thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us thine.